Hi, I'm Wendy, and I sometimes like to reread things. <laughs> yeah, I'm Brandon, and I like to reread things, and sometimes I enjoy it. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah, we like to hang out and talk about books. In this case, it's just stuff that we're rereading and figuring out if we still like it and why we may have liked it in the first case. Yep, and sometimes we make sense, and sometimes we don't. In this episode, we discuss Stephen King's The Stand. We discuss absolutely everything about this book, so if you haven't read it yet and you want to, please go ahead and do that before listening. Okay, so The Stand. This was your pick. When was the first time you read it? Uh, let's see. So, I first spied it at my grandmother's house. Uh, she had the hardback, like, probably the, maybe the, I don't know about first edition, but like in the, you know, 80. 70 whatever whenever it was first published like i saw that and i just remember very clearly it had the cool cover with like the two figures like fighting in the desert and i thought to myself like i'm gonna read that someday and it took until <laughs> i'm gonna guess 1980 81 uh when i because i I looked it up and it's like, okay, I remember the paperback like cover, so maybe I got a hold of it later, but that's the edition. So I'm gonna say I first read it uh, when I was, yeah, like 12 or 13 or something, because I'm old as dust. And uh, the, but the one that we read this time, I would have gotten it like hardcover, like right when it was published. So I think that was what 91. And so, yeah, that would have been the first time I read this edition. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it is weird that there are two editions of it because while I, I first read it when I was in high school, I've only ever read the expanded edition. I've never read the original edition. So, yeah, it came out and one of my friends read it and it was this thing where, you know, we were all just nerdy high school guys and somebody had a good book and you'd pass it from one to the next and I, probably four or five of us read it within the same you know two three four month period I had not remembered my reaction to this particular edition until I started reading it again. And uh, I liked the old edition. I remember not being thrilled about this edition when I first read it. So I guess I never, I probably used it again. I think I used it like in a paper or something, probably like early 2000s. But so each time I'm like, oh yeah, I don't like that edition as much. So, <laughs> and now it's been a reread many years later. I've probably read this four, five, six times, something like that. It was, it has always been one of my favorite Stephen King books, like this and The Dark Tower. And of course he goes on to link them later on. But it's been several years since I've read it. I think it's probably been five or six years since the last time I read it. There's not a lot of details that I didn't really remember. There are definitely parts of it that I hate <laughs> and characters that I hate, but I'm sure we'll get into all of that. Yes. Oh, oh yes. This reread broke my heart. Yeah. <laughs> it really, it really did. I have always said The Stand was one of my favorite Stephen King books. I don't think I can say that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it just, it did not work for me this time uh, at all. And I understand that like for this project, I probably go in not being critical in terms of like looking for things that are bad, but I think I'm probably reading more closely than I might if I were just sort of chilling and, and doing a reread. But mm -hmm. 
I still think I couldn't I couldn't get over a lot of it so um, things that I might have let go you know at other times I, I know I was hyper focusing on and just getting really just ticked off about it uh, so that part makes me makes me sad but you know maybe I'll still have you know maybe the dead zone or something <laughs> like, don't don't read it just keep it in your memory I guess general impressions did you have a good time going through this um, I, I was looking through my notes before we started and the beginning of this is a lot slower than I remember. I've got a note in here, something like this, you know, puts along for 400 pages and then it starts to pick up and then it gets into high gear for the last couple hundred. But there were times where, you know, I had to put myself on the schedule to make sure I got enough pages in a day to, to get this done in time to record. Because some of this stuff and some of these characters, oh, Larry Underwood, such a piece of shit. Yeah. And it... it and I get that he's supposed to be a piece of shit in the beginning, and he's supposed to grow, and you're supposed to learn to love him by the end. Well, I don't love him. He's still a piece of shit at the end. Okay, so. we can still be friends. <laughs> <laughs> I have so many notes where it is just Larry is the worst, and I think by the time that they hit that moment, and it's even exposition, I think. You know, like, oh, he's going to change. And like, no, he, he did not do the work. <laughs> and it's so bad. And so much of it is his interiority sucks. Like, yeah. <laughs> and I can't, I can't decide, you know, how much of just the, the horrible things that he's stuck in. Are we supposed to? I just kind of feel like at some points in time we're supposed to read that as no big deal. Like, that's not a problem. And I'm thinking, like, justice for Lucy. Like, she mm-hmm. deserved so much more. And wow. Like, just... So I remember not liking him in the beginning. But I think even if I look at my notes, I think there was one where I was like, I know he ends up to be one of the good guys. But, you know, is he ever going to get, like detached from some of the stuff that makes him gross and I don't think it ever does no I don't think so either Um, I'm looking at your notes here and I see you've got Larry sucks written in all caps (laughs) underlined and in a box so yeah there are so many points where he is terrible Um, when he gets out of the city with Rita he's terrible to her and then he feels bad about it Uh, And then he almost shoots her and he feels bad about it. And then she dies and he doesn't bury her. And he feels bad about it, but he didn't bury her or go back or do anything. You contrast that with somebody like Fran. Fran buries the parking attendant when the parking attendant dies. Not just her own family, other people. And, I mean, she's obviously set up to be somebody that you can empathize with and like from the very beginning. But... Boy, that is just a wide gap between those characters. And Larry, I mean, he's terrible before the pandemic. He's terrible in California. He's terrible to his only friend who's trying to tell him, hey, you're being an asshole and you're spending all this money you don't have. And it it really never gets better for me. Ugh. No. And a lot of it is... He's so just disgustingly sexist that it's 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 terrifying I guess like how much and I just I don't think that that's the part that ever changes you know so it's the oh well he wants to push or he wants to you know we have to save Stu mm-hmm. and, and I get that and it's good that he's not always selfish but at the same time 
boy does he not handle like adult relationships or <laughs> being a, a human. And I mean, sometimes I think it's tied up with you know his thoughts, and I think sometimes it's just the surrounding you know stuff. And it's oh gosh, what is it? I I have so many. Oh yeah. On page 105, uh, my response is just, I wonder if Larry gets mixed up with breast descriptions after he becomes less of a stain because <laughs> yuck. Uh, and it is, it's right from the beginning. You know, it's, I think it's the oral hygienist, right? She was short, pretty in a vague Sandra D sort of way and her breasts pointed at him perkily without a sign of sag. And then he keeps going with a gross joke, but it doesn't go away. You know, it's the, one of the worst ones was, oh, he was describing uh, Joe Mm -hmm. and his, okay, first of all, like, just add the racist with the weird Chinese eyes. What the hell? Right. But then it was something, and I'm, I know I highlighted it, but it was something like, oh, those eyes are going to make a girl's thighs relax or something. And I was, okay, he's a kid. You're gross. Women, no, and so just I'm inarticulate with rage, and and he's still, you know, at the end he's gross about like I'll just casually hook up with Lucy, even though I really want Nadine. Mm-hmm. And then I guess we're supposed to think he's some kind of great hero because he goes back to Lucy after Nadine finally decides that she wants him. Like, wow, what a hero! You're yeah. great. <laughs> And he doesn't even come in and talk to her, right? It's he comes back in and then stares out the window or something for hours. It's like, yes, that's... Yeah, she really deserves so much better than Larry. He's terrible. I, I, and I don't have a ton of specifics on him after a certain point. Oh, okay. So roughly halfway through the book, this is a quote, Larry is a man who found himself comparatively late in life. Like, okay, he's not that old for one thing. I mean, he's supposed to be in his late 20s, I think. But he's also, what has he found? I mean, he understands he's a piece of shit, but not much changes. Right. So it's, yeah, that is baffling to me. And it just felt like the book was working hard, you know, to just sort of like do a quick turn. You love him now. Mm -hmm. Actually, no. No, I don't. (laughs) This is a very long expanded edition. Mm -hmm. You would need a lot more pages to get me to like Larry by the end of this book. Yeah, and I guess I should be grateful that they didn't do that because I didn't want to be with him. And again, I just feel like there would be a lot of, you know, because how, how is he going to do that? How is he going to, to change just being objectifying, like sort of super casually, right? Um, and just even from like basic descriptions of things that he responds to, like that's embedded. So how do you have that, you know, just like, because what the lazy ways are going to be, he has a daughter. Like, mm-hmm. oh, he realizes, you know, now that he's got a daughter that women are human you know so i just don't i don't think that it could that it could work so he's always been a character i have not enjoyed but i thought well maybe this time you know looking and nope it just doesn't work so the just jump way to the end i didn't care (laughs) yeah it didn't upset me that larry got caught by a nuke i mean it's kind of the best end for him right yeah and I remember, I, I think probably from my first read, when Nick dies and Larry lives, I was so <laughs> angry because I like Nick. And sure. I cried and cried. And I guess given what happens to him, I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> you know. But still, 
And so as I was going through, I was trying to, I guess, maybe give it a little bit of a benefit of the doubt. Sure. Because, you know, you have these characters. And, I mean, one thing that I did appreciate, I think, was that it didn't go full cartoon Mm -hmm. on the two sides, you know. So I thought, well, Larry might be one of those people where you can say you can be imperfect. You can be, you know, you could have bad characteristics. And you can still be on the side of, you know, goodness. Uh, and there were some other characters, clearly, I think, like, in the zone that were set up to maybe, at least later, you know, be not great. Like, the the guy who was eventually, maybe he was the acting sheriff, and you could see he oh, was the... Oh, the one who wanted, like, guns and... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, you, I can kind of understand, like, that. Uh, and I know that there were some people in Vegas that didn't seem to be completely evil. I thought, well, okay, is... Is Larry supposed to be, you know, one of those grayer characters? But it's still, I couldn't make it work. And maybe it's because I hate him so much. (laughs) Well, there's no indication that he is one of those characters. He has the dreams of Mother Abigail. You know, he he is one of the early people that we follow and is is going to Denver. And yeah, I, I... I don't know. I, I think that's a real generous reading if you think he's supposed to be one of the crappy people in the zone. Yeah. or the, Yeah. And I, so I don't know. I, you know, <laughs> and I know that, you know, you can be crappy and you can choose, right, to try to do the right thing, which I guess, you know, Harold, right, crappy, doesn't choose to do the right thing. And like he's, we can talk about him for a long time too. But sure. There's just a lot of that stuff that I just <laughs> didn't buy. So I, I was trying to see like what kind of contrast I thought then at some point in time I guess it's like no I've been through a thousand some pages and I guess I'm just out of out of energy for for some of that yeah so you talked about the slow beginning Mm -hmm. and yeah this time around I really I I felt it a lot it was a it was a push and I I don't I don't have a good enough memory to remember you know if those sections picked up more like in the you know, in the first edition where a bunch of stuff was cut. Right. Uh, and I remember, I mean, the, that was always some of my favorite stuff. And I guess it was, uh, you know, like, yes, I, you know, I like a good apocalypse, right? Sure. Like, that's, it, it's like a disaster kind of thing. And I yeah. mean, this gives me a lot of what I want, which is, sure, like, there's the destruction, there's the things I like, the ones where it leaves infrastructure, you know, kind of mostly intact, or because those are just kind of cool for, imagination but the best part of course is it's that you get the chance to have heroes you know and and like heroic moments like that's the cool part not just the destruction but wow like just so much of this get on with it and well there are so many characters in this book and in the early sections you've got detailed chapters um like right as the virus is kicking off and then as the super flu starts to spread and one of the things that I noted was so many of the things that the characters care about and worry about, the, the, all those worries are just going away. They're going to have a whole new set of worries. But, you know, Fran being pregnant and not married and, you know, how things are going to go with her mother. And Larry has his drug dealer that he owes money to. And everybody in Texas doesn't have a job and has no money. And, but all of those things are about to change. And I, I mean, for my taste, it took a long time to get to the point where things were happening. Yeah. And, and that has to be tricky, right? Because I think a lot of what this, this book has to rest on you caring about these characters. Sure. So I appreciate 
you know, that part of it. But and maybe it was, uh, it was going back to the well like too many times. I didn't really record it, but I think that there were things that were established that we didn't necessarily need to return to. Mm-hmm. So I think that the stronger editing hand probably would have helped out with that. And there are some of those characters that weren't in the original that I hated <laughs> so much this time that, you know, I thought, I, I don't think that the kid is that. He's not in the original one, and he's awful. He is. Okay, so I think part of the slowness is a reread problem. Mm-hmm. Like the first time you're going through it, you don't have any idea what's coming, and other than you know a bunch of people are going to die, so you're going to keep reading, sure. And and again, because I have read it so many times, and I do remember a lot of specifics. I don't want to fault it too much on that. It feels slow. Maybe I just won't reread it again. But when you talk about things that are in there that don't need to be in there, the kid is probably top of that list. But, I mean, I went through a period where I read a lot of Stephen King, and Stephen King is, you know, stuck with the 50s as the coolest thing ever, the coolest era of America. He loves cars, he loves greasers, he loves leather jackets, he loves rock and roll, and that is what the kid is. Just like everything that Stephen King thinks is cool, but also a terrible person. Ugh. <laughs> he yells sex machine when he sips whiskey. What kind of... <laughs> oh, boy. It's, it's, he's awful. And he could yeah. not get eaten by wolves fast enough. Yeah, yeah. And so I was trying... And I guess... It's a good ending. I appreciated that, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages later, we see that. But it wasn't shocking. I didn't care about the kid. I don't think it helped me care about the trash can man. Like, Yeah, that's also a tough sell, the trash can man. I mean, clearly mentally disturbed. I mean, that, that is laid out very clear in the book. So I, I guess he's a character to sympathize with partially. And, I mean, that gets into the whole, like, what is God's plan and God's will and all that kind of thing. Because ultimately, the trash can man is what ends the threat. But as a character, I mean, talk about some boring chapters. How many times did he talk about somebody, Carly Yates, yelling about him burning old lady simple's pension check? (laughs) Oh, and I think a whole lot less would have worked for me. Yeah, and I... Well, I, I think, again, like my vague memories of the, you know, that first edition, we didn't have a lot of that stuff, and I think it still did the job. Sure. Um, but even then, it, like the I understand you're juggling a ton of characters. It is helpful to have things that sort of return so you can sort of remember who they are, but he stands out, you know, so you don't, you don't yeah. need that phrase, uh, which I guess was never all that entertaining. I don't know like how to fix that. It's just a, you know, <laughs> uh, I, I got it. And I think that like some of the other stuff, and then I think that part of the problem with maybe like the kid and the characterization is probably like, do we need another rape? No, no. I don't, I don't think so. So, you know, there was that stuff that was sort of like put in there. And, and that's one of my big problems with this edition is I looked it up cause I thought, I don't, I cannot see liking this book as much as I did with that stuff in it, especially at the ages I was reading it. Yeah. Uh, and most of that rape stuff, not in the first edition. So that whole thing with, was it Dana? Um, it was mm-hmm. not some like horrible 
sex slave rape kind of situation uh, at all. Like, so all that stuff was added later. And what a terrible choice. So I think there's a couple of my notes that were like, wow, the 70s sucked. And then I was like, well, the 90s sucked too. And it's, he had, he had 20 years and he, he made it worse. Yeah. And I don't understand. I mean, I guess it was written in the 70s. He just ported it over. I mean, maybe he changed some stuff, but... That is something we have to talk about at some point. (laughs) Yes. Because you can tell there are areas where he paid more attention and less attention. Because, okay, so originally published in 79, and then he rewrote it 10 years later, published again in 90 or 91, something like that. And that 10 years makes a difference to some of the things that are in here. One of my notes is, I think Stephen King is not good at math. Because there are a few places where he clearly has just paid no attention to the math of what he is saying. Like, early on in the book, uh, Stu... Okay, so we're going to have to talk about Stu, because Stu is great. I would read a whole book about Stu. Stu and Nick, you know, they're great characters. I love them. But early in the book, Stu is described as being 30, and later he's being described as being in his late 30s. Well, when he's described as being 30 and having been in the war, that math doesn't really work if the book is set in 1990. True. You know? Yeah. There are so many things like that through here. There are things that I don't know if they were actually common phrases in the 70s. Some of them that I had to look up because I know they were not a common phrase in the 90s, right? Like uh, being young, free, and 21, or young, white, and 21, or whatever it is. Like, I looked that up. Theoretically, it was a common phrase of some sort, but this is the only place I have ever heard that phrase. Yeah, it's free white and tw- 21, free white 21 yeah. and it's only like creepy old racists that say it, okay. you know, but it's not it's not something that's that's there. And so, but I don't know when it, you know, from the time period he's pulling it from, maybe it wasn't just creepy old racists. It might have just been it's the 70s and a bunch of people are unquestioning, you know, in terms of of some of the racism. Yeah. That was crazy. Some of it, like, so he updated some, but yeah. some of the other pieces, like the one that made me laugh, and I, I, I won't read my note, but I think it was, "Baby, can you dig your man?" Mm-hmm. I always said it sounds like such a crappy song. <laughs> it just sounds oh, it's terrible, terrible, and it was terrible. But he tried to update it in terms of I think the style of music it was, mm-hmm. but it of course inadvertently like tripped into even more racism, which sure. was super gross, but. Baby, can you dig your man? Like, no. And then also, <laughs> when he's so delighted because Neil Diamond was going to... I laughed so hard. Yeah. I, I wrote that down, that Larry's big break of Neil Diamond playing on his song or recording one of his songs or something. Like that, there were absolutely Neil Diamond fans in 1990. Facts. There were more of them in 1978, 1979. Yes, and I think it would have read way more, you know, like way different. I mean, yeah. my mom loved Neil Diamond. I'm sure we had an album. I mean, I, you know, we, we hear Sweet Caroline at sporting events. And, but yeah, and I just laughed really because it just felt really like a, I'm sure he didn't care. He didn't know. It was like, Gil Diamond's really cool. And like, no, that doesn't read the same. And I just thought that was that was funny. And then some of the other ones are just so ham-fisted. That well, whole, like, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles thing yeah. was so bad. Well, there are things that I really had to look up because I had no idea. Uh, one of the things that delighted me was Kraft Cheese Kisses, which were like a portable cheese snack that you could get in the 70s, but were definitely not available in 1990. Uh, one thing I, I was... Okay, so there are at least two references to someone's BSA in this book. 
And I did not know what that was. You could tell from context that it was a vehicle, but I ended up finding out that BSA was a motorcycle manufacturer in the UK that stopped making motorcycles in like 1971, 1972. Yeah, I'm glad you looked that up because I I probably glossed over it. You know, and yeah, there were a number of car things you know that were there, and you know that's for other people and that's fine. Yeah. But a lot of that didn't mean mean a thing to me. But that's that's hilarious. And I know this is a monster tome and you can't get everything, but at some point in time, I just kind of wish he'd been like, look, it's set in the '70s. Deal with it. Yeah. And his fans would have been like, awesome. Sure. People still read the Dead Zone. Uh, yeah. So the the note that I've got about math not being King Strong Suit, it's when uh, the judge is talking about the story of his life, and he talks about how his dad died in 1937 when he was in his teens. And, okay, so the judge is how old at this point when he's an operative? And it, I mean, I, I guess maybe it works, but... No, and it just seems weird because I guess I don't know when this came out in his career. I mean, if they're going to fuss at him, so I guess where I'm going with this is there had to have been a super nerd that he could have hired. Oh, sure. In the 90s? Absolutely. He could have had somebody go through and make note of everything. Yeah. <sighs> okay, let's talk about Stu. Yes. Because Stu's great. <laughs> Stu is great. <laughs> he's he's the, the competent character who can do everything or figure out a way to do everything. And he's the good guy who doesn't hate women or isn't terribly racist. I don't remember like a whole lot of racism from Stu's direction. Just the casual late 70s style. He's great. I, I really would read the whole book if it was just about Stu and everybody else were side characters. It was all from his point of view. But the way, and one of the things that I really do like about this are the little bits, especially when the virus is getting going and you get like little bits from every part of the country and the, like the TV broadcasts and it just, it really, especially with Stu's story because he's caught up with the government and being caught in the, the CDC centers, it really helps propel his story along, I think. And uh, he's great. And I'm glad he's the one that makes it out of the four of them that get sent. Yeah, for sure. I know. Yeah, Stu's great. My opinion of him did not change, which I was, as we're going on, I thought, oh, oh no. And then <laughs> I think that's partly also some of the, the reread problem, which is when is he in these centers? You know, I had such a, a strong, not memory of the specifics, but, you know, just like I knew that he got stuck, you know, in those facilities. And that was so cool. Like just the, you know, when he's messing with those off, you know, the dude with the gun, mm-hmm. the, you know, when he just sort of does his kind of quiet, like, no, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna cooperate anymore. Uh, and the fact that he had given them something, I just like loved that as an establishment for his character. And I was like, I just want, so that's the, like, give me the stuff that I want, uh, which is not necessarily a fault of the book. It was just like me thinking like, when, when does this happen? Uh, Cause I, I liked those and I like that he's a quiet character. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that Stephen King does a really nice job, I think establishing that without, you know, maybe 
beating it into the ground or something. I like that he develops. You know, I'm trying to remember. I thought that there was some kind of quote that was like he was quiet because he didn't have friends or something. I mean, he was like hanging out with those dudes, but, you know, it didn't feel like it. And I liked that contrast between like the way he would interact with the, the, the guys at the gas station, which we didn't like dislike them. But mm-hmm. to see how different that is later, you know, when he has real friends, I think, like on the committee and, and in the zone and stuff, I, I liked that a lot. And I imagine that the solitude probably got pretty old as he's, you know, stuck in that. But yeah, he's awesome. And I'm happy. And Honestly, like that last part, I could like read Stu and Tom Cullen, like <laughs> going across country mm-hmm. for I, like that part picked up. I liked that part. Yeah, it it, it's good. It's got another one of those funny updated references in it where Stu sets up the movie projector. And then underneath that, there's a line that absolutely had to be added in the edit where he talks about, this would have been easier with a VCR, but it just wouldn't be the same. And it cracked me up because, you know, like King is like, this is really cool. And it's neat that he did this. And it is neat that he did it. But the idea that he would have to put something in there to say, oh, and don't worry about this other thing. Like, it wouldn't have been as good if he hadn't done this. Like, who's going to complain about that? Yeah, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't. I wasn't focused on it at all. I noticed. That. I was like, whatever. Did you set up a movie projector? That was great. And so I, I appreciated that. And I was glad that they weren't stuck with just Brambo. So yeah, really liked. I liked that a lot. Um, and so I was happy. I do remember, you know, like probably one of the first times, like just that vague kind of like, no, you know, like you have your favorite, not Stu. They took Nick. What are we gonna do? And I, I think that, like. I appreciate Glenn Bateman more now, even yeah. though, wow, is there some YouTube level bullshit? Like, <laughs> let's talk about civilization. Like, oh, okay. But he seems like a good guy. You know, so I, I was a little bit better, and I do like that. Okay, I just had the so, idea of King updating this again to set it now with YouTubers and conspiracy. Oh, boy. Terrible. Yeah, yeah. Don't anybody let him do it. Okay, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> but so. You know, so, but I, I can imagine I was like sort of indifferent. I suppose mm-hmm. I was like, oh, Glenn's fine, and you know, like Kotak, yay! You know, we gotta. You know, and I, there were, of course, you know, given a number of these things. When they left the dog initially, I was like, what the hell? You always take the dog. What? Yeah. And so, but this time I could relax and go. I, I know he comes back, but also, come on. But I sort of attached him. Like Ralph was fine, but I'm. He just was sort of there. Yeah. I didn't really care. And Larry sucks. So you know, I was like, okay. So I was, I was happy. You know, I remember it, not expecting it. This time, I knew that an accident or something took him out. I had a vague memory that like Tom Cullen was gonna, because of course I was also really like afraid for, for Tom Cullen. So I guess talk about Tom Cullen for sure. a little bit. I love Tom Cullen. Yeah. I'm sad that uh, we couldn't be introduced to him and understand that. You know, he's he, his thinking is disordered, that he's got limitation. But wow, did I not need, you know, as we're talking about like old lady Semple's welfare check. I did not need them to drop like he's retarded. You know, like, And I know like that word is just rough. But even if you take that out of it, if you like mm-hmm. say, OK, phrasing from the 70s, you know, that word definitely used a lot. But every variation of it, we picked it up. I yeah. didn't I didn't need it. And yeah. So I felt bad about that because there were a lot of times I'd sort of flinch, you know, but every single time, like I, 
one of my goals, if I could ever write like somebody's dialogue that, you know, I, I think about like George R. R. Martin and the like, it is known. Mm-hmm. Like, I just love that phrasing or even King's Dark Tower stuff. Like some of the language is so great. But Tom Cullen can laws, yes. <laughs> All day long. I just, I love it, you know, but it's when he's playing with those cars. Mm-hmm. I just, every time I'm like, oh, I love him so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I, I like that. I like what they do with him later. You know, I like that they establish like the connection that he makes. That's cool. And so I like, I like Tom Cullen. I like Tom as well. I, he's a great character. I like the way that people in the zone, for the most part, take care of him and let him be his own person. And, you know, he's got his own place and he decorates it however he wants to decorate it and stuff like that. In addition to the way they talk about him, just the whole idea of him being like the magical conduit and he's the reason everything ends up working out. And between that and Mother Abigail, I mean, you're, you're really... It, it's so written 45 years ago, for sure, you know, and I don't read modern Stephen King. I don't know if he writes the same kind of stuff over and over, but certainly back then he did. So, I mean, Tom Cullen is great with an asterisk. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it, because, you know, absolutely. And even as I was like, hello, Tom Cullen, there's bad things here, you know, or, or lazy things or stereotypical things or yes. And so that is a big problem. But I guess there's just something about the char- the charm of it, or the just I have that sort of soft heart, and uh, and I suppose part, you know part of it is you know it's I get to see Nick again. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't love Nick as much as I had in previous <laughs> times. I had to keep reminding myself that he's basically a kid. He's like 19, something like that. You can do some stupid shit when you're 19, for sure. Yeah, so that that helped. So I, I felt a little bad because you know I I just remembered like oh you know oh yeah Nick is great. And I couldn't believe when he got killed the first time I read this. Oh my goodness. Yeah, and that was a, it seemed like oh wow you know, like that's so amazing like and maybe it was one of the first like a main character like that gets killed off <laughs> and in the way that he did like, yeah that was a shocker. So this time around I was really looking for like oh Nick is great like what but I think maybe remembering that he is. Young. So that leads us to the other young character who is a colossal, essentially irredeemable asshole, uh, Harold, who is only 17, though. And one of the notes that I've got in here, the most believable thing in this book is that Harold would do anything for sex because he is a kid. And of course, because he's the bad guy, he's fat. And he's never been good with girls. He's never gotten attention from anyone. And that is just, I, I, you know, I don't sympathize with Harold. He does terrible things. But it, is a, it was a lot clearer to me this time the way he was being manipulated and the way he was being led around. Yeah. And that is, that is believable. And I'm like, so a lot of times, it, you know, as you point out, it's, King does this all the time. And it's... Oh, yeah. There was, there's an essay. And it, I read it a while back where I, I would tell you who uh, wrote it. Was it Meg Ellison? It it may have been, but it's all about the way King treats fat people. Yeah, I hope hope I hadn't misattributed it, because yes, it's a good one. And and it's just, and it's so blatant, and it's so bad, and it's not questioned at all. I mean, there's a 
a couple sections I think were you know Fran who is for the most part like she's sympathetic but wow there's a lot of that stuff in there and it's and I think it's even in the in the discussion because like you can say that Harold is creepy and I don't like him and the way that that paragraph was written it starts with his looks there and then sort of like then drops in the creepy like the the actual creepy behavior right. but instead we lead with oh well he's fat and has acne or whatever's going on with him I don't remember right. and it's like nice but maybe you could you could lead with, with this other stuff which is clearly clearly a problem Harold this time reminded me of uh, Max Fisher from Rushmore I don't know if you've seen Rushmore or not. It's been ages. I really liked it when it first came out when I was 25, 26, whatever it was. As the years have gone on and I've gone back to it, I have liked it less and less. And I I used to think Max Fisher was awesome. And the more I've watched it, the more I hate Max Fisher, Fisher and I realize what a terrible person he is. But just that striving to be part of everything and to set things up and the weird affectations and the the way he the way he addresses people and the language he uses i saw a lot of commonality between them and i don't know i i had some compassion for harold this time maybe i'll watch rushmore again and have some compassion for max Max fisher we'll see yeah i mean harold's rough i would have like some you know some the there were enough details. I think like it was terrible, like, you know, his family treating him the way that they oh, did. Yeah. Like that's super shitty, and I get that. And and me and I'm wondering. Okay, so I watched the I've watched both of the mini series versions mm-hmm. of the stand, and I am wondering if some of my problems with him this time ported over because in the the latest version of it, they weirdly make Harold like the point of view character for a really, really long time. Hmm. And they play him pretty much like he's, you know, he's played by an attractive enough thinner character that, you know, he's going to read really Hollywood. Mm-hmm. I honestly don't remember who played him in the nineties or whenever the, you know, the Gary Sinise kind of, kind of right. version came out. Um, but anyway, like he just reads real incel uh, and he's, oh, you know, yeah. very much like more aggressive and, you know, and I understand like making that cause I mean, that's what he reads as, but it was, it was a weird thing to way that they punched that and he seemed to take up so much screen time and it really seemed to be working to, you know, redeem him or there was something about it that really didn't, sit well at all and I, I think I pulled that in there this time mm-hmm. but you know I don't like Larry I guess I don't buy that whole I, I felt like when his ending I think we were supposed to maybe feel for him in a way that I just didn't no I I, I think Given what he does, the way he gets killed is fine. The way he dies is fine. The thing, I think, so I think, Larry, you're definitely supposed to like. Mm -hmm. I think you're probably supposed to sympathize with Harold by the time he's dead. But the thing about Harold is he is given the opportunity to change very clearly. He, He starts doing good things for a bad reason. I mean, he's doing it to conceal his other activities and he's doing it just to, to try and fly under the radar of the commission while he's doing things for Flag. But 
he's still doing good things. And the other people in the community realize that and they start treating him well. They start inviting him to do things. They give him a cool nickname. And still, that's not enough for him. He decides, I have to go through with my plan because three months ago or whatever, Fran, who I decided liked me, didn't actually like me. Yeah. And again, remembering him, you know, that he's a teenager and it's not saying that, you know, teenagers suck or anything like that, you know, but, but yeah, I could see like that decision thing. Part of it, I guess, is that I never, I never bought really that he actually liked her, Mm -hmm. you know, as a person, because it very quickly, I think, flipped over into that weird, like toxic masculinity way. I mean, and I know he's a victim of it, right? Sure. But also, like, sure, he's going to have this showdown, like, he's got the gun, and it just immediately, I think, like, turned bad. But maybe we're supposed to think, did there was a thing with Nadine that I thought, like, someone was trying to make an excuse for her, and it was like, you know, that I think the dark man is trying to, like, uh, whittle away, like, her sense of right and wrong. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if we're supposed to, you know, think, like, was... Was Harold being influenced at that point in time? You know, does it just get bad or or what? But I will give Harold that at the end, he kind of goes through it, right? And then I think it, he's like, no, I did this. Yeah. Which freaking Nadine never did. So. Okay, so you brought up toxic max- masculinity, mm-hmm. which it kind of feels like, you know, the apocalypse happens and immediately the only people that matter are the men who are going to drive everything in Vegas and who are going to... I mean, Fran gets to be on the committee. Sure, she's the secretary. She gets to take the notes. I right? laughed so hard when I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> and there's, there's like Sue, I think, is on the committee as well. So there are women around, but it is always in service of the story of uh, Harold or Stu or Larry or I don't even know. And it, it's worse for the women in Las Vegas, for sure. But it's not, it, it's like, you know, Glenn Bateman's theory that, you know, all the, the toys are still out there and civilization will come back no matter what happens. Like, this is just the way things have to be. Yeah. Okay, so that did make me think there was one moment with Stu that I got. I had to be like, for fuck's sake, Stu. <laughs> and it is when, maybe it was Stu was talking about Dana. and Oh, I, I bet it, I have yeah. a note about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to choke. It was, yes, that was so bad because he couldn't get over. He kept just saying, like, she's a lesbian? Yo. A lesbian? And like, Yes, though they did say at one point in time, I think it was like lesbian, and then they think they said she's bi, and then of course, I guess we're going to just erase that, and then, but he just wouldn't let it go, and it was so weak. Oh, it's terrible, and uh, I mean, my note is that his utter shock is just super indicative of when this was written, but then he goes on to ask if she hates men, and because she doesn't hate men, that's why he thinks she's probably bi. Oh, okay. So, yeah, it, it is the worst stew moment okay. in the book, for sure. Yeah, so I was, so he doesn't completely escape. But yes, I was really angry with that. And I guess maybe I was trying to think, like, maybe it was Sue that was like, no, actually. And it's like, oh, no, it was just. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I, I was super angry about that. It wasn't, I guess, like, resting entirely on his shoulder. He just became the mouthpiece for some... A plus ass hattery, just yeah. so bad. But 
the women in this, like, once again, like, I mean, I like Franny, but how many times it's like, I think at one point in time, I'm like, oh my God, like, Fran, stop gaslighting yourself. What are you doing? Because <laughs> it's always, oh, I'm pregnant. I must just be too emotional. It's like, like y'all had dreams that were real. Mm-hmm. We have so much evidence of, like, other things going on. Do you have to blame that you're just a weak female, um, that you're a pregnant person, that you're, you know, whatever? Just maybe roll with it or just like, <laughs> or say your opinions and don't, you know, always apologize for it, which I know I do a lot, but you know, it's just, I was so, so that part was disappointing. Yeah. And I, I think that, I mean, I never really disliked Fran. I just disliked that, you know, a lot of times they didn't use her well or, and so that was disappointing. Sue, I mean, I don't remember much about her. I think she was. She was the other woman on the council. Yeah. Like, I, I couldn't tell you a detail about her. Yeah, and she gets killed with Nick. So right. it's like, oh, you know, well, we had to up the drama. So I thought that that sucked. And I think, like, Dana got to do stuff, but it was always sexualized. It was always... I mean, I'm not saying she wasn't, like, wily or smart or brave or anything. I mean, it was, a, it was badass that she, you know, stood up to him. But also, I guess we couldn't forget that... You know, she a man hating lesbian, and you're like just so I, that made me angry, and she deserved better. And I guess it's another thing where it's, it's not just men. It's again, I know it's the time, but boy, apparently um, neither side really has any time for any LGBTQ um, sure. or people of color. No. So I guess I'd like to think of you know maybe there's a nice group of them like somewhere awesome that's just like. <laughs> Riding it out elsewhere, maybe in Canada. I don't know, but so that was yeah, that was super disappointing. Because of the way this was republished, and when I read it, I have a hard time remembering how early this was in King's career. Because I I went in the foreword. I think of this. He talks about how he tells the story of writing this book in Dance Macabre. So I went to the library and I got that, and it's only like the fourth or fifth novel that he published and it, what I what I really never put together is that this is the very first Randall Flagg appearance of everything that he wrote and I mean with that in mind you can definitely tell that in here Flagg is very much amorphous in a way that he's not later on and there's a lot of things about him that are weird that never come back up again Flagg is a terrible creature there's no real indication of exactly what he is. I mean, King likes to throw in Christian references and Cthulhu references sometimes. I mean, he just pulls from everything and throws it in there. You get the idea that Flag is the big evil dude. Not the biggest. There are things worse than him. He's an agent of Satan, probably. Who knows? But some of the things he did in this were just off the charts. Like, there's one time where the judge gets killed and Flag eats the guy that shot the judge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess some of that stuff it's so bad it's funny. It just <laughs> And that was sort of when he was starting to lose it, right? Yeah. But yeah. Flag is was pretty great, I think just so cheesy and it's in a way that I kind of enjoy. And I think my favorite part uh, of his characterization was that from the beginning, like he's happy. 
mm-hmm. right? And he's grinning and he's loving that. And I just, I, maybe it was one of the first times I got to see that kind of characterization of of evil. Because mm-hmm. uh, I think a lot of times it would be, you know, it would have been more of the, like, uh, I have no joy, I have no emotion, I am only, you know, and here, you know, he's just living his best life. Uh, and I, I found, like, part of that to be interesting and to make, like, that kind of thing scary, I thought was pretty, pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, so I, I still enjoy that. Wow, there's... <laughs> There's some of that stuff. And I'm sure, like, when I was younger, I got it, but I didn't get it. You know, like, that he's the guy handing out the pamphlets, or he's got the buttons. And, oh, okay, again, with the 70s stuff, there's, like, two things I have to, like, the whole, like, what is it? How's your pork? Or whatever, like, (laughs) what? Like, no, that doesn't fit. And the other one, and it was just a, a hilarious, it was that section. It was just in one of, like, the little vignettes. And it was when people at the... Oh, what did he say? It was like at the University of Kentucky at Louisville, which I thought was so funny because it's, <laughs> I read that to Adam because it was like, oh no, there is no University of Kentucky at Louisville. And I thought, wow, I understand you can't just like look that up on the internet, but that was hilarious. And then the fact that the language that they had for their student thing was like, it, I might have bought it at like the UW Madison. There is no, it just did not sound, you know, and it's like the, I don't even remember the, the the phrasing of it was so 70s right mm-hmm. like the i know i like but it's like the you're pig cops and you're you know, whatever it was that rant just didn't didn't read well um and so i just thought that that was super dated and it made me laugh so hard <laughs> so then you get you know flag who's like i guess at some point it's like who cares if his stuff is outdated he's like i got hate for everybody and i thought um as a kid i probably was like whatever he's got weird buttons and stuff mm-hmm. and causes trouble where he goes as an adult like, oh okay yeah i see where you're going with that uh, that was kind of entertaining I liked seeing, like, I guess his, his arc when he starts, you know, just thought it was entertaining, I suppose, when he started to, to lose it. Yeah, it, he's got those blind spots. It's one of those things, I started reading this, and I was, I think, probably giving it more credit than I should, looking for signs of the supernatural early. And one of the things I, I thought, oh, for sure, the super flu getting released and the soldier that manages to get out of his thing before it seals, that's not a coincidence for sure. I'm not 100% sure about that by the end of this book. I mean, Flag is almost a cartoon at points. Yeah, for sure. I, I think it might have just been a human error. Yeah. And I just, once again, shout out to the, I love the whole transmission like sections. Those were so great. You know, mm-hmm. just that. And again, that one dumb moment. Loved that. I. It's all these stupid errors. You, where you get that section where it's like the, the I don't know if he was a sheriff or whatever, but he's, he's like tooling around. He's like, oh, I shouldn't have told you guys. And then he goes off and it's like he's passing it around. Mm-hmm. And, oh, I like that uh, still, you know, a, a lot. But I agree. I mean, he was a caricature. And that makes the, I don't know, like the scariness. Like, I don't know that I ever thought Flag was really terrifying. I think it was more like the situation and things. Yeah, for sure. This is... For me, things that have always been terrifying are things that could actually happen, right? Like, this just goes off the rails so quickly. Like, I want to find out what happens to these people. I want to find out how they take down Flag. But it wasn't... I was never scared of Flag. Yeah. Yeah, There's some menacing parts. But, I mean, even in some of them... So, 
Okay. Stephen King, I don't know, maybe he got better, but boy, the sex in this was so <laughs> incredibly, laughably, terribly bad. But when they finally, when when Nadine, you know, when the bride finally, I, I could barely get through that scene. It was just, yeah, I guess it's awful. I was, yeah, I guess I'm surprised. Not supposed. I mean, it, but anyways, I was not frightened. I just I was frightened of the terrible writing, and I know that you know you have to have I think that moment right where she goes through what she's set herself up for. I mm. guess, but wow, it did not have to be that way. So, oh wow, that was so bad. So I guess we haven't talked about Nadine. Yeah, I mean, she is less of an actual character. And more of just a piece of the story, like a tool to get the story where it needs to be. I mean, I guess I kind of have sympathy for her. She's she's interesting in that she has had these supernatural dreams since she was like a teenager or something. So way before the super flu. So that is kind of interesting, uh, but only kind of. Yeah, she's a weird character, mm-hmm. and not necessarily in a fun way. So. To make sense of her, I was kind of just trying to maybe look at some of the other connections. Like, I kind of understand the you have these, this sort of supernatural experience when you are really young mm-hmm. um, and maybe thinking there is a destiny. So, I understand maybe why she remained a virgin, why she kind of kept doing that. But, I mean, once you start having the dreams of of who this this is it just was was strange and hard to deal with and then it it felt like really her character was more in service to stupid larry underwood yeah i mean she goes i mean there's the big deal about she goes to larry and tries to get larry away from lucy and she because she knows that if she has sex with larry then the the flag will not want her anymore but there's like a thousand people in denver at that point right maybe more doesn't have to be Larry. No. I mean, the way Larry talks about her, she's gorgeous. She'd have no problem. I'm sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah. In a Stephen King book, no doubt. <laughs> right? Because everyone who notices her right, has to has to talk about that. So, I mean, so ultimately, right, I, she's selfish, I think, like from beginning to end. Uh, I think everything, even, you know, she takes care of, of Joe, but, you know, not really. I mean, just to, like, feel something, I guess, for herself. I mean, she wants him to be in that kind of feral, you know, state. Yeah, so, she didn't like him once he starts talking and, and becoming a person again. Yeah, so, you know, that's gross. Uh, manipulating Larry, she doesn't take any responsibility, right? I mean, I think from the, at any point, oh, it's not my fault. Oh, it's Larry, it's you who are doing this. Like, no, you have you have free will. <laughs> you can't actually do this. And even in her, like, when she goads Flag to throw her off the top of the, wherever they are, like in Vegas, like mm-hmm. off the balcony or whatever it is. I mean, she's doing it and she's giving up. Yeah. The And I, I'm sure... God's plan and all that kind of stuff. You know, it has to turn out that way. But really, you're going to be like, well, they're halfway here. So, yeah. So she was, I don't want to say the worst, but not not great. I mean, there's a lot of competition for the worst in this book. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I hesitated to kind of give her uh, credit for that. But it was a, a frustrating character. But, you know, yet another bad... You know, I don't like to keep score, right? And, right. Like, the women get to do, like, X number of things. But... Really? Like, so we're going to have the bride, we're going to have the, the mother, and then we're going to have, okay, Mother Abigail. I mean, so many problems with Mother Abigail. 
But again, this may be just a rereading problem. Her first chapter is so boring. I mean, you get a hundred years worth of backstory and you really have to just accept the, basically accept her view of things to get through the story and accept that this, all of this is God's will. Otherwise, it doesn't make a damn bit of sense. That's another math thing, right? Like, doesn't she? I mean, I know he says, she says he says she's a hundred and nine, but there were some of those dates that felt probably. Uh, I don't know. I understand she is really old, but when you like age it even longer, it's just like <laughs> wow. Um, so yeah, I don't understand that. I think religion it just seems to be treated in such a an odd way here, and. I, not particularly religious, but it's just one of those weird things. It's like, I get that she is. Right. But how many of those characters, like, did we get anybody that bought it? I mean, didn't they all seem to be, like, pushing against it? Not until it? the end, when Stu accepted it. Yeah. I mean, everybody else was always questioning. And then, I, I think, like, Ralph and Glenn went along with it, but... It, and even when they decide to do... Because she shows up and she's like, you have to go now. You have to walk. You can't take anything with you. You can't take any food. You eat whatever you find on the way. Even at that point, there's still the hedging of, well, there's so much weird stuff that's happened. She's probably right. We should do it her way. You know? And I think Stu probably eventually comes around fully. But it's not really explored really well. Like... If you're living in this world and you are given proof that there is a God, I think you'd talk about it to somebody, you know? Yeah, and I don't even know what I wanted out of it. I just thought, like, I wouldn't like the idea if everyone is just completely converted or something. But it just, there are certain things that I find sort of boring. And I think one of them just has become like that trope where it's the, um, the a religious person or a person with faith is a buffoon a controlling horrible you know bigot or the classic like you know if you had real faith it would work but ha 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 you know and it just at some point in time i guess i'd kind of like you know someone would be like no actually and then just <laughs> and maybe it exists and i haven't i haven't read it but so that part just seemed to be strange and it, sometimes it seemed to be thrown up there for yet another youtube conversation i guess about about faith or something i didn't want a bunch of scripture and i certainly yeah. um you know, so that isn't what i what i wanted to read and i so I don't, I don't even know where I'm going with this. It just was something that was unsatisfying about that. And maybe, I mean, I guess I didn't want to be out with Mother Abigail in the wilderness because I think it would have probably been a boring story. Oh, for sure. But also, oh, I haven't been doing things right. I'm going to head out into the you know wilderness because that's what we do. And then she shows up again. And it just, it felt like maybe the story didn't know what to do with her. I don't know, but it was it was weird and disappointing and, and kind of boring. And it's like, sorry, Mother Abigail. Yeah, it is. the The whole religious aspect of it is so strange because it it does bother me that that they don't have a lot of conversations about it. I I don't want a lot of conversations about it, but I think it is a thing that would naturally happen. So maybe they're doing it, you know, in between chapters, right? Who knows? But it also the whole send these four guys off and have them go and I guess I guess the purpose of the ones who got to Vegas because Stu never gets there the purpose of them was to get Flag to bring all of his people together I I suppose because then the hand of God can come down and set off 
the nuke and take care of all those terrible people at one time. Weird plan. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you'd think there'd probably be another way to go about it. I remember the first time I read this thinking that that was just such a bullshit ending. Uh, I think it probably still is. As I, And again, as long as this book is, you could cut half of it out and write a different ending and it would be better, I think. Yeah, I think so too. I guess so there's a, well, big pacing problem, I think. Um, you know, there's still, because I think maybe not everyone is going to have the same things that they like, but the, sure. the, the parts that I remember are, you know, like do at the pump, like just being the one who kind of noticed things and you know, kind of shuts everything off and you mm-hmm. get like that first, you know, kind of like, oh, wow, that guy's messed up. And, so, you know, you get that part of it. I remember, you know, Larry the jerk, but that tunnel scene, oh, lodged in my memory. Yeah. It was so good. You know, then Stu again at the CDC, like just trying to get out like that's great i mean i guess franny is just sort of the that human you know part with uh, her burying her dad and nick getting attacked and the whole thing with the the jail and the sheriff in arkansas or wherever he's at yeah so you have those things and you could get some of the like the set pieces and things about like how things crumble but wow you don't need you know all of that stuff and so some of the stuff that was, I think, added, like with the break, and maybe I'll, maybe you were going to get to this, but I just wanted to like sort of say, so pandemic, mm-hmm. right? And like, oh, good times we're living <laughs> in. Uh, did, did this hit any differently because of that? Or Well, I mean, the things that were most, like emotionally, no. You know, I, I have read this so many times before that it didn't get me that way. The things that really stood out were, and I, you know, I don't blame Stephen King for not being an epidemiologist and not understanding viruses, but just the way the virus is written about and uh, some of the details that are given that are just absolutely ludicrous. And I mean, it is a fictional government engineered released by Satan virus. I mean, it can do anything. Sure. I don't mind. But the whole thing of Will the babies get it after they're born? Like, how long do you think a virus lives, right? If, if nobody, if everybody's immune and nobody's carrying it, where's it coming from? But, I mean, maybe it's in the air and it's just all over the world now forever. Sure. That's fine. And then there's a point where, like, the, the, it's one of the bullshit news things. Like, you know the government has told the cult people to say, oh, we're going to have a vaccine in two weeks. But the idea of a vaccine in two weeks... <laughs> just out there now yeah and, and, I, and not something i would have questioned before oh right yeah I, I can't remember if i would have or not it seems ridiculous but <laughs> like so i couldn't decide if it was always meant to be the government is lying to you there's no way this would happen or if it would have been a oh no like they've been they've been taking care of this for forever i think there are some things that uh, i know that i had a note here which is something like oh well, and it, I think it was the scenes of like the people in the corridors of the hospital because mm-hmm. they didn't have enough rooms. Okay, Ooh, that that one feels a little bit more real. I mean, I think it's logical, and sure. you can see where it could happen. But that one, like, no, we've actually seen you know that uh, in in action. So that part, you know, I guess like hit differently. And I think the the denial. Mm-hmm. Well, we've seen evidence of that, and I'm sure that like back then and. 
I do appreciate, you know, just like you pick up, I think, pretty quickly what you need to follow. And I can't help it. I loved each cough, each sneeze, <laughs> each like, yeah, oh, he's got it. And he's going to, you know, so I perversely, I guess, like really enjoyed those things. But then it, when it was the, oh, it's a cold or, oh, it's this, oh, it's that. It's like, no, darling. Yeah, I guess that does, that does hit a little differently. I joked about King writing this again, but I think he could really amp that up at this point and it would really be affecting it's accidentally affecting at this point you know because it's 45 years old but yeah it's uh it's the kind of thing that you could really do a lot with now yeah so i if you could get anybody that wanted to read it sure yeah you know and it's weird because it's like i did not want to i mean it's an obvious thing to kind of think about when you're oh we're in quarantine like do do i want to read the stand absolutely not A couple years, you know, like afterwards, even when we're still, you know, experiencing things, like it, it didn't, it didn't make me sad. It didn't, you know, experience that. And I'm trying to remember because like things break down really pretty quickly. Yeah. And there were some things about like just bad delivery of messages that I thought, well, yeah, yeah, we've seen that one work. I don't know if I would have questioned like just the, like, I guess there was a point, maybe it's <laughs> like... I think it would have been scarier when I was a kid when I believed in systems more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, when some of those things, you know, break down, that they would have been more shocking, maybe. Uh, and I think there would be things like that whole scene where they open fire on, I think it's the pro- the student protesters. Right. I had not I like learned enough history to maybe understand, you know, like that that kind of thing. You know, goes on. I think that would have been, uh, and the the radio station, the. Ray Flowers, is it? Mm-hmm. You know, when he's, uh, when, the, when they're broadcasting and then I think that's the one oh, that gets attacked. Right. And so I, that one, like, again, when I was a kid, but there were other things that I was like, I absolutely believe the military would <laughs> turn on it. Which is like, sorry, dad, I know you were in the military, but he just, <laughs> I kind of like bought some of that more. And I did, I, well, before we started talking, I did say that like when the, when the person in Vegas is revealed, like I used to be a police officer and I was like, huh? Like, I was wondering <laughs> at that point, like, no, not the police. And I'm just like, oh, oh, wow. And there were some other things, like, I felt bad about the, like, well, and you're in the free zone, we don't really have many, was it, like, engineers and com- computer people? I thought, wow! Yeah, I've got a note here that I want to look at with a page reference. Let's, let's see what it is. Okay, yeah. I think he's going to get most of the techies, Glenn said finally. Don't ask me why, it's just a hunch. Except that tech people like to work in an atmosphere of tight discipline and linear goals for the most part. Like, that is absolutely laughable. And who gives a shit, except it's what the whole book is based on. And he's right. Like, Vegas gets most of the tech-oriented people because they like the trains to run on time. That's the next line that's in there. And it's just ridiculous. Yeah, there were some some weird things. Like, well, then, so I think it was like, oh, yeah, in the zone, like, someone might work a little while and then take a long break. Like, yes, they should. (laughs) That sounds great. Like, hey, you don't have to, you don't have to grind yourself down for capitalism. <laughs> Just hustle culture doesn't have to exist. You yeah. know, you you want to be able to be warm. Yeah. But yeah, there was some, there's some very weird things, and I think that they maybe have always been weird, or I certainly read them differently than I than I do now, and I think that that's that's kind of funny. 
So I'm trying to think. I mean, I was trying to make, I even tried to make a list. Like, what do I still like? Because there were a whole <laughs> bunch of things I didn't like. And I, I did say I liked the transmission part. I still liked, you know, Tom and Stu, even though, you know, not not perfect. I liked the trip back. Again, it's all sentimental. Mm-hmm. But I don't care. I've, like, gone through terrors. Uh, but there were a couple things. So I remember liking Lloyd. I didn't really like Lloyd in this version, so yeah, okay. I'm trying to think. I'm going to guess that he is a character that does not benefit from more interior scenes. Because mm-hmm. you know, I maybe that like this time, you know, I'm looking at it. I wouldn't have glossed it over, but it's like, oh yeah, he's doing time for rape. Like, oh, oh, okay, not sympathetic, right? So I don't. So now I'm trying to figure out why. At one point in time, did I find Lloyd a really interesting character? And the only things that I can think of is that he's weirdly loyal, mm-hmm. like to the end. Like, okay, that is a quality that I, you know, admire. But that can't be enough. And the only other thing that I can think about is that um, in the first miniseries, he's played by Jose Ferrer. Who so was so good? <laughs> Maybe that was what tipped it over. So kudos, but I can't. Well, Lloyd is a really weird character, and it actually gets called out in the text because in the beginning he's a moron, and he starts getting smarter because Flag like uses powers on him, and he even he even mentions it. He's like, I know I used to be an idiot, but now I can think about two things at once, right? And he is loyal. But he's also, of all the people in Vegas, he's a terrible person, just stipulate that. Of all the people in Vegas, he seems to care about other people, especially people who can't take care of themselves. Like, Trash shows up, and you know Lloyd makes sure everybody takes care of him. And there's the little kid that's over there, and Lloyd is you know checking in on him and making sure he's okay. Like, the one kid that's in Las Vegas. Right. <laughs> Right? And I'm glad that they made him cute. It's yeah. like, he's still going to get nuked, little dude. Yeah. But, yeah, that's a good point. And that, yes, so that, I, so I probably should not have. <laughs> like, like, But I always thought it was interesting. And I think I even have asked that question, you know, which is like, what makes someone follow, you know, somebody so evil? And part of it is, yeah, I, I and I noticed that line this time around, you know, that, like, I got smarter. And like, okay, that kind of makes sense. And. I guess just at some point, like, where do you go, you know, like in terms of your decisions, especially against that. But it, it would have been nice to, you know, maybe see a more principled stand against. <laughs> but um. one of the things I like about Lloyd is, especially in the beginning, how quick he is to accept any rationalization for his own behavior. Like, I, I think it's the lawyer that's like, oh, no, you didn't do anything Poke made you do those things. He held a gun on you. And Lloyd's like, yes, that is exactly what happened. I didn't want to do any of that. I didn't want to kill those people. <sighs> because they are terrible people and deserve to die. Yeah. So I guess it's a neat trick to, I guess, make me at least sort of interested. So that is one thing that I appreciated. Even if it wasn't always successful, you know, mm-hmm. finding like moments of humanity in these people who are terrible because i think if everyone was like the kid or every you know if everyone was if you just had like a you know the worst of the worst right you wouldn't right? care you wouldn't yeah you wouldn't care at all uh and there would be no no drama to it and it would be also it would feel easy right i'm not evil 
Right. You know, well, I'm fine. And then you're, well, like, hopefully, but, you know, like, so people would make that decision um, because they're, you know, weak or for whatever reason, but it wasn't just, you know, I'm cartoonishly sitting here, you know, petting my cat and so again with the cat. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I just think that, that that makes it more more interesting. And you know, I like to guess that the zone had their squabbles. Though you know I could actually have done with a little bit less of the the politics and the let's sing America the Beautiful before we start this meeting. Yeah, boy, I didn't like that. And I know, I know if if I were in the zone, I would still be that <laughs> asshole sitting in the back, like, yes, this is <laughs> I would have just been doing the thing I've been doing my whole life. I just I'll Statler and Waldorf this and just even that moment I would be unmoved. I still like the way the government is depicted. It feels more real to me now than it used to. Uh, Just the idea that who cares if the world burns, we can't let anybody know that we did this. And at one point it's mentioned that they are intentionally spreading it around the world to make sure that the entire world goes and not just the US. I really like that. There are small things that I really like and ideas that are things that are hinted at and never really explored. I've got a note about one of them in here. It's toward the end of the book. Yeah, there might be another like him, speaking about flag, in Russia or China or Iran. So, like the idea that there are these other dark entities out there and there would be other like free zones like Denver. That's interesting. I like that. Never going to follow up on it at all. Okay, so there's, I've got a note in here about a particular thing I like about the end. There's a paragraph where... Stu is hurt and he's in the culvert and Glenn and everybody are just about to leave him and he thinks, you know, this is it. I'm, I'm going to die here. And he starts reflecting on how much has happened in a single season of the year. And that's so good right there. Every now and then there's something in here that will just hit you like that and that is one of those spots. I love that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And I, I didn't highlight a bunch of them but yeah there's a lot of things and just even small deals like i like how king isn't afraid to like basically i don't even know if it's foreshadowing i think it's like almost like broadcasting you know where like it's just like and they never saw him again Mm -hmm. and i and i guess i liked it especially when there's that switch up you know it's like no one saw stew stew again and it's like because y'all are gonna die and he's fine (laughs) (laughs) but so I liked like those kinds of things, and so it just was a, a neat way to go. And especially, especially when it's like hundreds of pages, and like where is this going? And oh well, like at least it's going somewhere because we have a little bit. And I, I just kind of liked those little moments. But then also, yeah, like every once in a while, you will have just a passage or a thought or you know something that's okay. That's that's cool. I guess just this time for me, it it just wasn't enough. Yeah. I, I don't know if I'll read it again. It's it's tied up in... I mean, there are good memories of reading it, you know, and enjoying it. But also, just, like, memories of who I was when I read it and the way I accepted it. Like, when you're 16 or 17 and you're reading a book about 99% of the world dying, it's real easy to go, well, that'd be cool. 
you know, <laughs> and and just un- only thinking about, well, surely I would be part of the 1% that lives and like everybody I like and everybody I don't like won't, right? And, and so there are a lot of weird emotions tied up, especially in the, mm-hmm. my first read of this. I... I like that it's the foundation for some of the things that King does later, particularly the Dark Tower. He was obviously already super popular by the time this started. I mean, he had these just massive successes out of the gate. But I think he got better significantly over time. So, Yeah. Yeah, I won't regret it. I guess it's just one of those things that made me sad. And I will, just before we wind it up, I have to point out... Do you have the illustrated version? Yeah. Okay. So chapter 37, I don't know what tipped me over. Because I just have, uh, you're talking about like, I don't even know like the thought of a mosquito with the flu is just too ridiculous to consider. Maybe it was talking about like spread. Anyways, my note says, oh, oh no. I have a wisp of a memory here about this edition's ending and maybe an accompanying picture that is super racist. Mm. I really hope I'm wrong. And of course, when you get to that very final thing with the final illustration, I was like, nope, I was not wrong. It's in chapter 37? Uh, yeah, so just, I don't even know that that matters as much, just to, like, to lead up to chapter 78 where I said, the picture, oh. holy fuck, it is as racist as I had feared. <laughs> It's oh yeah, so yeah. Bad. Like, <laughs> oh, because flag continues on, and uh, he's on the island. And... Yeah, that was a terrible late addition. We can get the sense that I think even say like you think he's gonna be like oh he'll be back. It's like yes, we can anticipate that evil returns. I get it. Oh my god! And then the phrasing of it, and then just that picture, just. It had to go through. Someone drew that picture. Someone said, yes, this is what I want to do. It even kind of goes against, like, I think some of the, the descriptions of it. It's just like, well, let's just punch it up and make it. Yeah. I mean, I did research on colonial discourse and racism in depictions of Africa on behalf of, like, colonial, you know, kind of like British colonials. Anyways, this would have been at home in some of those old documents. And it it's just breathtakingly bad. And again, I don't know how this works, but someone drew it. Someone said, yeah, that'd be great. Like, let's put that in there. Yeah. There were, so it's terrible. And so I just, so I don't know what, what pinged my memory or, you know, whatever shook it up in that earlier chapter, but that was, and then when I turned like, Oh, I can, I can picture it. It's mm-hmm. just, so yeah, I definitely did not was, remember that until I got to it. Yeah, it just, just immediately blocked it out. So, so bad. So I guess I want to say that like, that's awful. I hate it, but I still have good memories of other things. And yeah. like some of those characters are just going to be vivid characters that I'm going to carry with me, you know, for a really long time. And I liked how, you know, we're sort of talking about, like, who you were, like, when you were reading that. Like, I love that. Like, I have that memory of sort of seeing that book, like, on my grandma's, you know, like, by her chair and thinking, yeah. like, that looks amazing. That book is so huge. <laughs> and and then just having it be kind of intriguing. But then at that point in time, you know, being told, like, no, you're too young for this and, yeah, uh, and like okay, you know, making it a goal, and then like getting through it, and so I love a lot of that, and I understand why a lot of people love it. So I don't want it to be a oh, you like that racist book, do you? <laughs> like no, no, but also wow, I'm just I'm just really sad <laughs> because of this this reread because I just have to remember like no, it is not one of my favorites, um, and I 
will not read it again uh, unless something extraordinary happens and I'm doing it for <laughs> for research or some kind of kind of thing. So I feel I feel sad about it, <laughs> but you know I have memories. I don't yeah. have to you know scrub it from my Kindle or take it off my shelf or anything. But Rereads sometimes break your heart. I'm just gonna go back to that and say, yeah. sometimes it's it's better to not not return. And that's the that's the thing is you never know what you're gonna get before you start, especially if it's been a while. And I guess I don't like go through this and say like it isn't, you know, current. You know, I it's not just the language or it's not like I can still like go back and look at context, but there's other things that were wrong, you know, that I yeah. didn't enjoy in this. So it wasn't just that I was squeamish about stuff or I think rightfully angry about some stuff. Um, but yeah, I just, so anyways, I'll just remember Stu's a good guy <laughs> minus a couple things uh, right. and, and just go on from there. Yeah. There's plenty of other stuff to read. I almost feel like it's a dare now. Is there a Stephen <laughs> King book that you can reread that you will enjoy? I'm not going to do it, but... Well, I mean, I haven't read The Dark Tower in at least 10 years, probably closer to 15. I'm kind of nervous about that. There are parts that I absolutely know will not hold up and will really be make it hard to read and hard to get through. Part of me wants to reread it and, and you know, have that experience again. Part of me just wants to have the memories I've got that are good for it. So I absolutely know what you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, I think there are Stephen King books you could read and have the same experience. Like, mm-hmm. however many times you read it, Cell is a terrible book. <laughs> right. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's going to be nothing good about that. Yeah, that was, that one was bad. Just... Or Dreamcatcher. <laughs> okay, but again, ass weasels. Like I, there's a so there's a little bit of the. But I I have a bad feeling. It's like you know. Oh, I think this milk has gone bad. Oh, <laughs> like, here, spell it. Uh, yeah. But yeah, there's going to be some things, or there's going to be things like. I'm going to imagine it would probably hit pretty much the same just because the parts of it that were bad, like they're still bad and though maybe they're even worse. We might, oh boy, I don't want to read that again, but it would be a good conversation because I bet our first reads of that were very different. Yeah, 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 for sure. And then they're going to be, yeah, some of them, or some of them I just didn't care about enough. Like they were fine. You know, it would just be a, uh, I'm not going to read Christine again. No. Yeah. Um, speaking of the 50s stuff, boy. <laughs> but, he's, but yeah, like there's going to be parts of it. So that I imagine, and I mean, again, I have some fondness of Dead Zone, but it was never a perfect book to begin with. You know, like there were just parts of it that I really, really liked. Yeah. Um, so I imagine I would still really like those and then just be sort of like, meh, you know, about some of the, the other pieces. Um, but I guess the stand for me just was one where I was like, oh no, I really genuinely. So I guess maybe The Shining might be another one. Maybe. Uh, I, I have only read that once. Okay. It's been a long time. Yeah, so that one, so again, that might be one of them, like, oh, I'm a little afraid. <laughs> but uh, there's other writers out there, and I will yeah. I will mention, I'm pretty sure that Stephen King has often said, like, The Stand shouldn't be your favorite, or, you know, like, I don't know why, you know, people are still on it, and maybe it's sort of a, like, hey, you know, look at stuff that I've written, you know, not in the 70s. And right. I, could, I can certainly sympathize with that. Absolutely. But, oh, man. 
but it's gonna have to be a while. So I'm gonna just say like maybe the next time, like maybe we should read the Stephen King book. You're like, do you really want to do that? I'll just play the end of this episode again. <laughs> exactly. Yes, I need the help. <laughs>